Hey everyone, it's Jefferson Graham. This is the podcast companion to the Las Vegas Photo Walk episode where we meet in, and talk in depth to some of the people that we actually met on video, but now we have more time for uh, some good chit chat. Homer Leewag is here. He is the photographer that I walked around with in the arts district and has been nice enough to meet us on Zoom and uh, have a chat. Hey, Homer. Hello, how are you? Great to see you again in your beautiful studio. Thank you. And um, it, it, we've actually known each other for, gosh, at least four or five years. And uh, he his pictures online are amazing. And it was great walking around to the Arts District, which is one of the more undiscovered areas of Las Vegas. Why don't you tell everybody, for people who are listening and haven't watched the episode yet, um, there's the Strip. There's the place people live, there's downtown, and then there's the Arts District. Tell them about the yeah, Arts the, District. Yeah, the art District, um, and is my audio okay? Am I going through the speakers? Your, your audio is good. Okay, great. Um, yes, uh, the Art District is just, um, you know, Vegas has its obvious places, and when people come to visit me, I usually don't take them to the Strip. I take them to Red Rocks, Red Rock Canyon, I take them to uh, Valley of Fire, but I like little places that feel like um, non-Vegas, but still have characters. So I take them to the Art District and the Art District is sort of a booming little area with some of the best restaurants in town, little bars and pubs that you'll see in our, uh, our little photo walk and um, antique stores, art galleries, and it's really booming and it's growing fast and it's one of my favorite places to visit. And what do you love about it? Um, it just feel like it's uh, a little bit away from the obvious, you know, it's behind the scenes. It's not Vegas as you would expect it. It's more of like a culture walk and a little more eclectic and unexpected and new shops popping up all the time, antique stores and uh, new restaurants popping up every other month that are just winning awards. And uh, I don't know, it gives me a fresh perspective on Las Vegas. <laughs> You've lived in Las Vegas for what, like 10 years? Um, I've been working here since 1994 when I started working for David Copperfield, but we were at the time touring most of the year around the world with our show. So, uh, Generally, when I had time off, I would come back home. And I, at the time, I lived in Cincinnati. But I bought my first house here in 2002. And we were still on the road. And then when we stopped touring in 2009, uh, I have a lot more time at home now. So I've basically been li living here since 2002. Okay, I forgot to mention, you're the co-director of the David Copperfield Show. Yes, sir. Right. And uh, his chief photographer, and you help design magic tricks. And why, why don't you tell everybody what co-director means? Um, I always tell myself, at least, that I'm responsible for um, everything you see, hear, and feel in the show. You know, I, I, I pride myself in making sure that David always looks good, whether it's on stage, whether it's in a television appearance, whether it's uh, uh, his, his script, his dialogue, his music, uh, the designs of his illusions, I want it to be the best it could possibly be. And I'm uh, sort of responsible for all of that. Okay. And uh, 
we should back up. You you began as a magician in Cincinnati, right? Um, I grew up in Cincinnati. I went to uh, University of Cincinnati for industrial design. So that's where I had my kind of my art and design background. But I was also a, an avid amateur magician. Um, around the late 80s, early 90s, I moved over to Indianapolis and started doing magic full time at a restaurant, a magic restaurant called Illusions Restaurant in Carmel, Indiana. And that's where I sort of um, built up my magic chops. Uh, but within a couple of years of doing that, I was snatched up for the David Copperfield tour in 1994 and immediately, you know, got, uh, you know, got a call that day said, hey, do you want to join our tour? My friend was the uh, magic consultant and executive producer at the time and still is. And uh, an opening came up as an administrative assistant to uh, type, type letters, take dictation, file, and when he saw that opening, he called me up that day. He said, can you get on a plane today? So I literally stopped what I was doing. I packed a bag and I flew to, flew to Rhode Island where the tour was just finishing and hopped on a bus that night and uh, was been on the road ever since. Okay, so you're about to go on to do your show at the restaurant and you get a call that says, get on a plane and get to... Rhode Island, I assume it's Providence, Rhode Island. Yes. Okay, get to Providence from Cincinnati, which is what, two-hour flight or something like that? Yeah. And you're hired sight unseen, or you're come here to be interviewed by David, and he'll decide whether he wants to hire you? Um, no, well, David's uh, uh, executive producer and uh, 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 magic consultant, his name is Chris Kenner, um, was a good friend of mine. We worked together at the Magic Restaurant for years did many projects together and he became David's kind of uh, right-hand man. So when he saw that opening come up when an administrative assistant quit that morning, he said, this is the perfect opportunity because he knew I could type fast. So, uh, you know, we normally don't hire magicians or people in the magic field because we feel that's kind of limiting, believe it or not, that we would rather have someone that has art skills or design skills or management skills or our general like aptitude to, to handle anything, to learn. And when he saw that opportunity, he was like, well, you know, Homer can type, why don't you hire him? So, you know, he jumped on that moment, made the call. And as soon as I showed up, I was, you know, right in the mix. It's sort of a, a machine that's, you know, we're doing, and they were up to 15 shows a week, three, four, five cities a week, touring on a bus, touring around the world. So it's, you don't just, there's no, you know, break-in period. You pretty much, you know, land with your, was it land with your feet running? <laughs> What's the saying? Did you have time to quit your job? Oh, they were all for it. You know, they're all magicians. Uh, all my friends that worked at the magic restaurant were like, go on, go on, you know, you know, taking me to the airport and yeah. giving me a lot of uh, push because they, they knew that it was sort of like a dream of mine for a long time. So how did you work your way up this is so far from Las Vegas, but this is a fascinating story. How did you work your way up from administrative assistant to co-director? Well, maybe I was bad at being an administrative assistant. <laughs> but no, as soon as uh, David's very good at cultivating skill. So if, if someone comes on and they're like, oh, they're really good at building or welding. The next thing you know, they're welding full time. They're building. I had a design background. So within a few days, and David kind of knew this because I've worked on a few projects. Before I went on the road, I worked on a few projects 
for his last TV special back in 1993. So he knew I could draw. He knew I could build and, and, and make models and mock-ups and work like that. So when the first opportunity came, and uh, they were working on a TV special called Unexplained Forces, which aired in 1995. So this is 1994. So there were a lot of illusions that were in development and being fine-tuned. So he saw the opportunity to say, hey, Homer, why don't you... Uh, we have this prop, uh, can you make it look better? Okay, we have this other prop, can you make it look uh, you know, more exciting? It's kind of bland. So within a few weeks, I was already sketching and drawing and making mock-ups and uh, you know, heading right into the design world of David Copperfield within weeks. Okay, um, when did you become co-director? Um, I would say the title came in, the title, if you want to call it a title, came in, um, around 2011, where it's, you know, it really, my position didn't change much, just the title came in for, I don't know, why not have a title? Yeah. <laughs> Got to put something on the business card, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah I've always, I, sorry, oh. I've been, but I've always been involved with the show and how everything looked, but now it was, with the title, you really are responsible, you know, you really have to really care about every aspect of the show from the music, lighting, sound, to even like how the audience is responding to things. Is is the pacing of the show correct? Is there something in the show that feels dead or or needs, it, it's it's not going well. You know, I, ha I have to oversee kind of the big picture as well as the little design details. So you do two shows a night, right? Two shows a night, three on Saturday and on holidays, we'll tend to do more than, uh, you know, three shows a day, 15 shows a week. You guys don't, never get tired, I guess. No, <laughs> it's it's sort of uh, it's our daily yoga, I guess. If we didn't do that, we didn't know what we'd be doing. So uh, the show, I think, is at seven and nine, something like that, right? Generally, uh, seven nine thirty. Seven to nine thirty. So you're at the theater. What at two o'clock? Um, I'm there usually around four-ish till like midnight-ish, depending on what's going on. If there's uh, projects that you know vendors that are building a prop that we need to visit during the afternoon or or uh, design details we have to deal with in the morning because it's east coast time or right. yeah so it's but it's flex it's flexible but uh, it's not nine to five for sure so on an average night seven o'clock the show starts you are where i am backstage at my desk working on some kind of project and it's okay, always you, different you're not watching the show um, I'm hearing the show because we have a, a, a speaker where I can hear the show. I can hear David, even when his mic off is towards the audience, to the audience, I can hear him. So if he has a note, if his mic's off and he's in the middle of an illusion, he sees some tape peeling up on a prop or he, there was something, a cue that was late, I'll hear that. Uh, the stage manager will also make notes. And then depending on whose responsibility it is, uh, we'll have to deal with it. So. Okay, because you. But, but generally, but generally, I don't have to be there for the show. I'm mostly working on the future. Right, but you've seen the show what thousand times? Oh God, um, I've heard it thousands of times, but actually watching it, you know, a few dozen times. A uh, year, have, you, have you heard it so many times that if David got sick tonight and somebody had to go on in his place as the understudy, could you do the whole show? That is. I would be, to be honest, we normally say yes, because we've heard it a million times, 
as soon as we try, like if we're in a rehearsal and I, I when we do rehearsals, I normally stand in for David because I'm trying to figure out the choreography. Mm-hmm. Unless I have that piece of paper in front of me, I don't know the script, even though I've heard it a thousand times because right. it's not part of me. You know, I've heard it, but to actually perform it is another skill and that's what David excels at. Okay. Um, so let's go back to Las Vegas. Talk about living there. What's that like? Um, it's hot. <laughs> right. At this time of you year, know, right? Yeah, right now we've, uh, we're still in triple digits this summer uh, for the last three months. But uh, I'll take it over the humidity every any day. You know, growing up in the Midwest, 90% humidity at 78 degrees is still not comfortable. Um, I love the convenience. There's, uh, especially now, the restaurants popping up, especially off strip, are incredible. You know, there's amazing award-winning restaurants, nationally recognized restaurants opening up off strip that are just fantastic and you know, a lot, and some of them are open late. There's plate. We can have the best sushi at two in the morning. We can have great Italian at three in the morning. And, you know, being a night owl, that's perfect, you know, with our schedule. So the restaurants truly are open 24 hours, not, not the places with the buffets, but I mean, the nice restaurants will. Um, a, f- a handful. They're not, not all, especially with the, uh, with the uh, COVID times, uh, a lot of restaurants started closing early and earlier. Uh, but there, there, if you know, if, if you know a few people and a few places, there's a good hand. You could almost have any kind of cuisine at any time of the day, day or night in Las Vegas. You certainly could eat at the MGM at any time since that's where you work, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Talk to me about the strip because you actually work on the strip, but I'm, I'm sensing that you probably spend as little time there as possible. Yeah, I, I, you know, get out of my car, get out of my car and go straight into backstage. I don't see this trip. I try to avoid the crowds. You know, they're there to have fun, and I'm there to work. So it's just, uh, I'd rather just be in a in a quiet place. But the strip people love, right? They come there by by the millions every year, yes. the hundreds yep. of thousands, and they start at the MGM and they walk all the way up to to uh, the Encore or even further, right? Yeah, well, a lot of people don't realize the scale of Las Vegas. They, MGM, the Encore, feels like a couple of blocks. That's yeah. a four to five minute walk, you know? Maybe longer. That's not close, yes. Um, but uh, especially with our sports teams now, the Golden Knights hockey, we're starting our uh, second season of our Raiders, our opening nights tonight. Uh, so that's big for us, have two professional sports teams. So uh, the concerts that come to Las Vegas are huge now, and uh, all the residencies, Lady Gaga at Park MGM, and I mean, just so many amazing entertainers and attractions in Vegas now. So it's 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 truly becoming a, a destination. But you guys used to tour and used to stop touring because I think uh, it, it was a lot easier to just stay in one place, right? It is much easier to stay in one place. But uh, I, I don't know what the reason for it is, if that's the true reason, but it definitely is uh, as a sit down, you know, you don't have, we don't have to put our props back into a truck at the end of the night. You know, the show is ready to go. And, you know, in an hour, we can have a show up if we needed one right now. So. But I mean, you don't have to go to hotels. You don't have to fly to Cincinnati. You don't have to. Exactly. I, when you started, yeah. you were flying all over the place, right? 
Yeah, we were traveling, uh, was it 46 weeks out of the year? We were on the road. We were only in Vegas four or six weeks out of the year. We were in foreign countries at least four months out of the year. So I've traveled almost anywhere, everywhere, except maybe three or four countries. So, so it made it a lot easier. And I, I, I have to assume a lot more profitable for the show and just not to have all those transportation expenses. Yeah, exactly. Logistically, yes. Okay. Um, the audience that comes, have they seen the show many times? Or are you getting new people all the time? It, it, it depends. Um, like, for example, right now, uh, well, I would say a lot of the audience now are new people. You know, David's been around forever, and he still has a name that people recognize. And because especially of the recent uh, times with the, all the restrict, travel restrictions, we're not like getting a lot of foreigners. Um, usually, especially being at the MGM Grand, which is a, a high, kind of a higher-end hotel, you know, we have a lot of people that, you know, from China and Japan and from Australia, Germany, Europe, that saw David on tour 15 years ago and now have a chance to see him in, in a live show and never got to see him. So it's quite an attraction. But now with the travel restrictions, we're getting a lot of, you know, America is coming to the show. People from Texas and, you know, and since we haven't toured in a while, it's, I'm assuming they're mostly new people. People that have heard, there's probably the older people that saw them on tour when they were teenagers or when they were younger. But now, you know, the, the new generation of kids are starting to grow up seeing David, you know, at MGM. And luckily you change your illusions now. It's not the same ones you did 30 years ago. Exactly. All right. So somebody's coming to Las Vegas first time, uh, unlikely, but they're coming for the first time. And they say, hey, Homer, I'm going to go to the Strip. I'm going to see Caesars Palace and MGM. And I'm going to go to all of those places. D despite everything you're going to tell me, how are you going to tell me to go have a good time in my, on a day or two around the Strip? Uh, I'm sorry, how, how am I going to tell you to have a good time? What are you going to tell somebody? You, you're going to say, don't go, but they're going to say, I'm going anyway. So how would you recommend they go do their strip? Well, well for example, I had friends that came in yesterday from Laguna Beach. And, you know, I need to feel what they're, what they're in for. Some people just want to hang out by the pool. So there's plenty of that to do. That's not for me. If they want to see a show, I recommended shows for them. Uh, they didn't know what shows to see. Um, uh, and of course, being me, I recommended a restaurant off the strip and they absolutely loved it. They love the recommendation. So it depends what you're into, because some people I, I do like to introduce people to parts of Vegas that are not obvious. So I will take people out to Red Rock Canyon. I'll take them on a hike. I'll take them to Valley of Fire, which is just 40 minutes northeast. And it's, it's stunning. It's some of the most beautiful places in the southwest. And people forget it. It's literally my, just miles from Las Vegas. And you're you're in the middle of the desert. People forget that too. Yes. <laughs> you're taking him to some pretty great desert places, as we went to at the tail end of our photo walk. It's, it was stunning. Yeah. 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 That's one of my favorite spots. If they are going to go to a casino, what are two or three that you would say, hey, you should go see? Because they're pretty spectacular. Um, well, MGM, so I work there. So it, it's been a, a staple of entertainment forever. Um, there's some newer hotels that I haven't even been to yet. Resorts World just opened up, which uh, looks fantastic. And a lot of the newer hotels have more amazing technology 
and projections and lighting. Um, the Aria is very nice, part of city center. And um, I love downtown also. Uh, Fremont and East Fremont area is more of the vintage Vegas. They have a lot of the old neon signs up and it's a little more Vegas fun, Vegas nostalgia. Um, a lot of graffiti and neon and, uh, you know, 99 Centrum cocktails. And, yeah, one of the and, one of the ironies of Las Vegas is that the great neon, there's not a lot of anymore on the strip. It's just the flamingo. And that's really about it. And you have to go downtown to see Binion's and the Four Queens. Yeah. And, it's, it's, and there's and this amazing museum called the Neon Museum. Right? Yeah, the Neon Museum is great. I did a couple tours. I did a shoot for the Nevada Ballet, ballet there. And it's great that they're preserving all those signs. Um, I think most of them are made by Yesco, another great neon company. And uh, I think they've been restoring a few of those signs and placing them around the downtown area. So th they're still around. They're, the, the neon's not going away away because they're, they're, be they're beautiful works of art. And uh, you forget how big they are. You know, when they're up on a building, they look kind of small, but when they're on ground level, they're 30, 40, 50 feet high. Yeah, I was sad to see the neon guitar leave the Hard Rock when it became yeah. the Virgin Hotel. Yeah. But it's alive and well at the Neon Museum. That's what I heard. Yeah, I haven't been there since. Um, talk about photography. So you, you've you been a photographer all your life recently? Uh... Um, I've been dabbling with photography since I was a kid. Um, uh, I remember uh, in, when I was a kid, my dad was developing pictures. You know, he made his own dark room and was developing photos to put up as a menu for a restaurant he was uh, he, he owned. Uh, so I helped him in the dark room for a little bit as a kid, uh, but I didn't really take it seriously until maybe about 15 years ago when I, uh, my, my, my friend gave me a, an old Nikon D100. It's a 6.1 megapixel camera uh crop sensor for talking photography terms and that camera i remember and probably happens to most people you you're excited about the new technology you take a bunch of pictures you're not you're kind of disappointed like i thought this would take better pictures you don't realize it's your technique and then you kind of put it away so i had that camera for a while i put it away didn't touch it for like two years and then one day i it just clicked on me when i learned proper aperture settings, shutter speed settings, ISO, understanding photography better, uh, that I finally got better at photography, more serious at photography. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable now. If you said, let's go do a photo shoot, I, could, I would know what gear to bring, what technique to use. And uh, that's from just, just from being bad for a long time. What cameras are you using now? Uh, I have a Sony A7R2. I also have a, a fixed lens Sony RX1R2, which I love. It's a 42 megapixel full frame sensor. And, but my favorite camera to take around, which we did on the photo walk is my Leica M6 with some uh, either black and white film or Cinestill 800 tungsten in it. And that's my, my favorite film stocks. I didn't know they had 800 tungsten. It's great. It's a, uh, it's a kind of a, it's a film stock that has the, I don't know this technically, technically it has the REM jet layer removed, 
which is a protective layer. So it's, it behaves more like actual motion picture film stock. So you get these weird red highlations around highlights. Um, and I just love the quality of it. And, and I love taking tungsten white balanced film in daylight. It gives a nice, interesting tone to it. Yeah, back, back in the day when I was shooting film, it was 125 ASA was the, as high as you could go for tungsten. Wow! Yeah, you could you could uh, you could push it to three forty. Okay. Yeah. You push it in processing. Yeah, you would send it to the lab and ask them to push it for you. Got it. Yeah, the good old days. I when I started, I was doing concert pictures, and that if you wanted color from the concerts, that's what uh, you had to use. And then, but the and the concert lighting was kind of low light, wasn't it? Um, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Okay, so you yeah. you, you could still work with it. You yeah. had spotlight, you had xenon spotlights, and and yeah, so, so you had you had lumens to work with, yeah, so, that's nice, not too bad. And um, some of your favorite spots, of course, we, we know you love shooting at the arts district, the art yes. district, and uh, you, you love going to Red Rock. Tell everybody about some of those amazing moonshots from Red Rock. Oh, uh, so I have a fun little spot I can um. Uh, plant myself in Red Rock that's easy. I don't have to hike anywhere. I can get out of my car, unload a tripod, and I'm in a kind of a little parking, uh, like a hiking with a trailhead. So it's easy. You know, so I'm kind of lazy sometimes when it comes to photography. And um, I generally like to shoot. Um, and with this position, I can shoot almost, almost 300 degrees of mountains in any kind of light. There might be a sunset over here, could be a rainbow over here. There could be a storm over there. So it's a great little vantage point, which I've shot the um, uh, the Neowise Comet from. I've shot uh, a few moon, uh, beautiful sunsets there and did, did some time lapses. Um, but most of my moon shots are actually in different spots, just chasing areas around the strip to find a good, because the moon to me is no good without any kind of reference. Right. You know, a great technical shot of the moon is its own achievement, but to have an airplane in the middle of it, or uh, have you seen a shot of my moon that was balanced on top of the old water tower? That shot is one of my favorites, and that was just chasing the moon down the street, finding this water tower, and then just getting the right position and just waiting to the moment that the moon was balanced on the very tip of the water tower to get the shot. And that was, you know, a lucky moment for me. And for people to see some of your work, go to Instagram. Uh, Instagram's where I post most of my uh, original photos, and and my I do a lot of cooking, so there's a lot of food on there. Um, but uh, also my website, homerleewag.com. You can look that up, and uh, I post some of my photos on there too. And is it at homerleewag on Instagram? Yes. L i w a g. Yes, H o m e r l i w a g. How, has anybody ever asked you if you're named after the character on The Simpsons? About twice a day. Really? <laughs> but my, my name is actually, uh, my parents named me after uh, Homer Winslow, the artist. Also, you were born before Homer Simpson. So. That's true. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm the original. <laughs> uh, not aging you, but I believe the show is 35 years and you're just a little bit older. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that the longest running show in I television think so. or uh, uh, not the longest running show, but um animation certainly animation. Nothing's yeah, ever been long that long. 
Unless yeah, you can, I mean, Bugs Bunny has been running all these years, but they haven't made new ones all the time. Right, right. Right? Um, right. Okay, so we talked about your Instagram. Uh, David Copperfield has a new book coming out, and you've got a lot of pictures in there. Yeah, right? yes. That was, that. I forgot about that. How did I forget about that? Yes. Um, last two years, I've been um, in and out shooting David's museum. David has the largest collection of magic history from Houdini's entire act to Dante, to Blackstone, to, it's endless. And uh, we partnered with Simon & Schuster. The book comes out on October 26, 2021, available wherever books are sold. Uh, I'm very proud to have shot over to about 200 photos for that book. It's beautifully written. It's not like a Wikipedia of magic history. It's like in-depth, stories about these incredible people, women, men, magicians that have had their lifelong struggles, that had their triumphs, had their defeats. Amazing writing. Um, glad to have been the photographer. Great, great challenge to, uh, I didn't want to just take, for example, Houdini's uh, milk can and just put it on a gray sweep and put a flash and an umbrella on it. I wanted to, you know, his museum is laid out very dense uh they're not like displays with red velvet ropes they're like his props just kind of sitting in like in a warehouse so they have a very organic feel to it so my my feeling was to capture them as in situ as possible so um and light them as if they were lit in a warehouse not with studio lighting so that was uh my challenge and my other goal was to kind of convey a message or convey the story of the performer with the photo. So if this was a, a dark and mysterious performer, I wanted dark and kind of moody lighting. If it was more of a cheerful children's performer, you know, I was trying to, to convey the subtext through the photography uh, of each performer. So that was kind of the challenge. And we should mention to anybody listening that this is not a museum where the general public can come attend. You got to know somebody to get in the door, but it's where he houses all of his incredible magic collection. Yes. And the book is sort of gives you a really almost, I wouldn't say it's better, but it's a very, very complete tour of the museum because it's not just random objects. These are, these are objects and stories that, you know, David's very passionate about. So you are getting a really amazing tour with this book. So if you can't tour it in person, I would definitely recommend his book. Okay, and it sounds like the sort of book you don't want to read on your iPhone. You actually want to have no, the physical no. book in front of you, right? Yes, have the physical book. It's beautiful. It's uh, eight and a half by 11, uh, beautifully printed, um, incredible uh, cover art. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. And before we go, we should close out by talking about Land Rover. You were in this incredible commercial for Land Rover driving around Las Vegas. Uh, tell everybody about that and how it happened. <laughs> Um, a couple of years ago, uh, this is 2018, I believe, Land Rover did a casting call. They were doing a series of short films uh, on Land Rover owners and their stories. So they've had uh, an astronomer from, from Queens. They had an amazing athlete. They had uh, a family that raised uh, thoroughbreds in Texas. Uh, and I applied for... You know, I, they had a casting call. I send some information. I send them a little uh, 20 second audition video, which they requested. 
And next thing you know, they had the great Michael Bernard, who is, uh, he's a photographer and uh, one of the great music video directors from the 90s. And also did a decade's worth of Victoria's Secret photography and commercials. And he was, he's now transferring into doing short form films. So he shot my film uh, with a Land Rover. We shot for a week in Las Vegas. And it, you know, he did an amazing job. It's, it's an incredible piece. It's a uh, Land Rover owner stories, they're called. And uh, Well Storied is the campaign. They did about maybe a dozen of them. And then I, I think they stopped for a while. So that was a lot of fun. Check YouTube. It still exists. It's out there, right? Yes. And beautiful. I mean, really beautifully done. And I get, I'm get, I'm sensing you drive a, a Land Rover. I do. I, I don't have that car anymore, but I now have the Land Rover Defender, which is fits every nerdy Star Wars aesthetic I have. <laughs> so I love it. All righty. Um, I'm going to let you go because I know you have a show. Oh, you don't have a show to do tonight. No, but... we, are, we are dark this week, so. Okay, but I'm going to let you go anyway. Thank you for spending time with us both this way and when we did the photo walk. I want to encourage everybody to go check out the Las Vegas photo walk with Homer and where we went to the art district. And I'll show you a few things as well in the video on where to shoot the skyline and other fun stuff. Thank you everyone for watching. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram at Jefferson Graham. You can find Homer at Homer Leewag, H-O-M-E-R-L-I-W-H-E. And he's not related to Homer Simpson. Right? Thank you. Had a great time. All right. Thank this was fun. Much.